0: Yo, what is up, all you Slashers and Survivor Girls? Welcome back to another episode of that Creepin' a Real Horrorcast. If you don't know who I am, I am that good buddy Lunchbox, uh, bringing you another review uh, this week. And uh, for this Tuesday, being a special, special holiday, we got our 4th of July episode. And honestly, uh, if you guys are listening to this, on 4th of July, what are you doing? Go blow some shit up and eat some barbecue, for Christ's sake. And then you come back and, and join me for another review. But, hey, if you guys are already, you know, full up on barbecue and, and you had enough beer and enough time by the pool and, you know, blowing up firecrackers and handing kids sparklers and doing all the fun shit, welcome. I, I'm, I'm happy you guys are with me. And so, for this week... Uh, if you guys didn't see it and, and I'll talk about it in here in just a second but uh, we're going to be doing Return of the Living Dead and I'm like really pumped for this one because I've been wanting to do this movie for a very long time so just to jump into all my perks before we jump into it uh, you know, again you guys can always reach me any time of the day hit me up on my email at creepinitreal.cm@gmail.com. at gmail.com uh, I mean, drop me movie suggestions, tell me uh, I'm being ridiculous, you know, give me a chili recipe. I don't care. Just email me something. It'll make my day. I just love uh, just talking to you guys. And, you know, a, a quick and easy way, as always, you guys can you know, reach me at uh, the Instagrams and the Facebookies at creeping It Real, and that's R-E-E-L, uh, so yeah, just find me there. There, you're good to go. Um, also, you know, I do have my merch. I'll, you know, plug it in, you know, towards the end of the episode. But you can click that link in the bio and it'll send you to the merch page. And that helps me out and supporting the Good Buddy Lunchbox and the, the show of Creeping Real. And you get some pretty, pretty swanky merch. And it's all done by me. So yeah, go, uh, go check that out. But. It's time to go ahead and dive on into this week's episode, and uh, you're probably asking, "Hey, lunchbox, why, why in the hell are you doing the zombie flick on the Fourth of July?" Well, it turns out that this film does take place on the Fourth of July, so. <sighs> So that was the thing is that uh, this film, it starts off on July 3rd uh, at the end of the night. And then it kind of trails off into July 4th. Uh So it's pretty awesome that, that this I for the longest time never even registered that this would have been technically a 4th of July movie. Uh I mean, it didn't hit me because uh, at the beginning of the movie, uh, one of the characters, Bert, he's closing up uh, you know, closing up shop uh, for the night, and he's getting ready to go home. And then Frank, uh, one of the other characters, mentions to him about the, you know, oh, like, I'll see you around for the, the barbecue tomorrow. And they were just like... So I was like, oh, my God. Like, they are actually going to celebrate 4th of July. This is fantastic. So, yes, we are doing return of the living dead for this week's fourth of july episode so let's jump on into the perks for this one and uh i'm gonna save the director for last because i feel like i'm gonna have a little bit to talk about on this this homie um but we have rudy ricci as part of the well he's one of the writers and then we have russell steiner as And John A. Russo, and if you don't know who that name uh, is linked up to, he was one of the writers uh, and creators, or he helped create Night of the Living Dead uh, with our boy George A. Romero. Uh, They, I guess there was like that whole like falling out, and there's just like legal stuff, and uh, it turned out where, you know, Russo took, over the living dead name and then when george A. romero went to go create the rest of his movies if you've actually noticed it they're not called living dead it's uh, they're like of the dead and that was like his way of getting around that legal loophole um and then like russo uh like he actually owns the name living dead so that's kind of why they were able to use it, and we'll, I'll talk about that here in just a second because there's a little bit more to dive into that, but we got our main cast here. We got uh, Clue Gulliger as Bert, James Karen as Frank, Don Claffa as Ernie, Thomas Matthews as Freddie, Beverly Randolph as Tina, John Philpin as Chuck. Jewel Shepard as Casey, Miguel Nuez Jr. as Spider, Brian Peck as Scuzz, Lena Quigley as Trash, Mark Ventrini as Suicide, and Jonathan Terry as Colonel Glover. Uh, and then we also have you know Kathleen Cordell as the Colonel's wife, but she, she was just kind of just there. Um, But those are our main players. But this whole thing was brought to us by Dan O'Bannon. And that's right. If you guys listened to our episode for last week for Alien, uh, I'm pretty sure you guys have heard that name before because he is the man that wrote Alien our beloved alien that was directed by Ridley Scott this was the same man this was his first real directing job and so i kind of find it funny because like for the longest time i never really made the connection i am a, a big fan of both of these films so it's just really really funny that i was like oh my god it's like it's the same same dude and i never i never knew And, or I never really, I guess, dove that deep to really make that connection. Um, But hey, it was pretty awesome. Now, uh, for Dan, they were, like, he, I guess, like, through film school, like, he has always wanted to become a director. And there's documentaries of him talking about, uh, you know, his his career and things like that and and I guess like throughout his career like he's always asked people how do I become a director and they're just they kind of always push him into well you gotta you know become a writer first and then you also gotta go do all the you know the editing and then you gotta go through like the the camera or like they just were saying that you have to go through so many hoops and he continuously did them and, and tried to you know, kind of mastered them, but then it turned out that the writing took on uh, a, a better life than any of them. And lo and behold, I mean, like he did, he did writing for Dune and he did uh, obviously Alien. I mean, there's, it's just, it just kind of keeps on going for, you know, the stuff that he's helped, uh, you know, write and things like that. So when they finally were like, hey, do you want to direct this movie? He automatically just, said yes, like he was like, I just, I need to direct, I just wanted to get something going, and what's hilarious is in that documentary, it turns out where he's like, he's like, yes, let's go ahead and do it, and then he's was like, the, all the shit just hit the fan, like, is like, just all the production and everything that goes into making a film, it just seemed like there was always some type of just conflict and... I don't know if it was just like sometimes it's it's all in in the person and what you put out gets you those type of results, and I don't know like for for me it's there was he seemed like a really like nice enough guy and he almost kind of looks like uh, in his old photos he kind of looks like Jim Henson so it's just like I kind of feel like he would been a pretty pretty nice guy to work with, um, I mean he's. Very very talented. He's really really creative. Uh, one of his things that I actually really like about when he hires on people, he never hires professionals. He always hires artists, and that's something where it kind of adds another layer to the like to the work or you know, to the the to end product. Just because, like a professional is out there just to do a job, but an artist is gonna give you something a little bit more, and they're gonna put that little bit extra effort into their work because that's that's themselves being portrayed. Um, one of the guys that they had on there um, was for Tarman, and we'll talk about him. He's the iconic zombie of the film. And in Tar Man, they were talking about how they wanted to have it, the zombie, just all the flesh just dripping off of him. He's just goopy. And the artist that he got, you know, like took, uh, or they took, well, O'Bannon and the artist, uh, they took inspiration from like old like mummies and things like that. And... When they're doing, as like, it, or and also they took inspiration from like the old like tales from the crypt, uh, comic books and uh, you know, all the, the old horror horror comics, and the art is incredible. Like, I actually want to see about you know if I could like dig some up and then you know you know maybe display them around my house and stuff like that because it's, they're just so gorgeous and I love that that style of artwork. But um, when they were doing Tarman, they were just like, well. We were trying, they were trying to set up the costume and how it would look because they were like, it's a lot of like skeleton, like bones and shit sticking out because of like all the flesh is off. But they didn't know how it was going to work. So they ended up getting this. They were going to get a stuntman, but then Obama said, no, no stuntman. Like, we have to get an actor for this. And again, his reasoning was that an actor is going to be more focused on the craft. A stuntman is going to be more focused on action. Like that's that's all they care about is just you say go and they just move until you say cut. An actor like in that role is going to think about the movements and everything else and it, and it played out beautifully. And the Tar Man was actually played by Alan Troutman and he you know back in those early days like i mean he's done stuff with like the muppets and uh, like he used to do work on the show for dinosaurs like so he was a, a a puppeteer and they put this man in this costume and he was like super skinny he was perfect but just that movement the way that he was imagining this is when they were describing the tar man to him they were like Well, he's basically almost just a skeleton. So it's like whatever connective tissue that would help move this creature, it might not be there enough for this creature to walk properly. And so they also wanted Tar Man to be able to think. And so there was like the movement that he gave was it was very like sluggish. And it's like he was trying to think of like, well, if I move this way, like like is something gonna fall off and i don't want it to fall off or like i don't want like to split in half or whatever like so that was the thing was like the way that tar man was moving was he was trying to go after you know the girl but at the same time he was trying to not fall apart and he was aware that he could fall apart at any time which is a really really cool idea so we'll we'll get into maybe a little bit more of that just because i mean tar man is just so awesome to talk about um but uh for this movie uh just to keep going on to it uh so for its budget it was estimated about four million dollars its opening weekend it made four million four hundred and three hundred dollars oh my god um so that was it was like it made its money back opening weekend which is fantastic but it's total gross Uh, Was 14.2 mil. So that is. That's incredible. Like that is a. For a zombie flick. That is big, big, big budget. Um, But that was the thing is. I think that. I mean this is back in 85. And I almost feel that. You know. Back in those early days. uh, You were getting a, a big slew of those you know, the, of the moviegoers. Um, nowadays, it's... I feel like this movie actually... Even though, like, th- based on those numbers, like, they made a shit ton of money. However, I almost feel like this movie is more of a cult classic than anything. Um, from any of the conventions that I've gone to or, any you know, my friends and just... just People that I engage with, you know, whenever we talk about zombie flicks, you know, this one, it's like you you say, oh, like Return of the Living Dead, you're like, oh my God, like you just kind of get, you get amped up. Like you're just like, man, yeah, you were just totally excited about it. So I almost feel like it almost falls into the same category as like Evil Dead 2 or, uh, you know, things like that. Um, It's just, it's... It's more of a cult classic than than just a, a major box office hit, even though it did make a shit ton of money. Uh, so, I, I mean, it, it made almost $10 million back <laughs> on its budget. So, I mean, he's, he's doing something right. Now, just out of curiosity, um, what was really interesting was, as I mentioned to you, George Romero went off and, you know, obviously he made his own, you know, his own iconic films, and he had to change the name um, from Living Dead to just Of the Dead. And I was looking up the info, so George Romero's Day of the Dead came out the same year, and what was funny was that it was uh, my birthday is going to be coming up here on July twenty first. You know, happy birthday to me! And uh, uh, during the opening weekend was Day of the Dead, which was fantastic. So I might have to do some type of remare. I don't know. I'll have to figure out what I'm going to do for my birthday week. Uh, but for the budget, they actually only got three point five million estimated for uh, Day of the Dead. Opening weekend only made one point seven million, and that's U.S. Canada. But it grossed a total like of U.S. and Canada, it was about five million. Um, or they even say it's like the worldwide gross is about five mil. And I was just like, I don't know if, like I I almost feel like those numbers are a little bit lower because I don't I don't know if Return of the Living Dead would what should have made more money. Like f- compared 14 million to 5 million, and I th- almost feel like Day of the Dead would probably be the better and uh, more well known just because it's got the Romero name on it. Uh, that's really interesting. I'm gonna have to do a little bit more uh, deep dive on that because those numbers don't, they don't really feel right to me. but, um, but yeah, that was the thing was like so Day of the Dead. Was made or was released the same exact year, and people were getting, uh, I guess, all like the people that were making the films were a little bit sketchy about using the Living Dead name just because they didn't want the confusion uh, knowing that Day of the Dead was going to come up. Because it's one of those things where it's like you hear, you know, of the dead or, you know, Living Dead. They might, you know, go to the wrong movie or, or what have you. You don't know what the the movie goer you know, how dumb they're going to end up being. But at the same time, they wanted to keep keep this in line. Now, uh, John Russo, he uh, like I said, was one of the writers and and helped you know create uh, Night of the Living Dead. And when they left, he ended up taking the name and he actually wrote the novelization of Return of the Living Dead that was supposed to literally be the sequel of what would have happened after The Farmhouse, like, as things, you know, go on. And I guess in the book, it kind of dies out. Like, it just, it stays in Pittsburgh, and then it just fades. Everything kind of goes back to normal. Uh, People start to rebuild, and then out of nowhere... Uh, another chemical spill happens, and then shit you know hits the fan again, and I guess like it's got one of those like polarizing reviews. Like some people love it, some people think it's a waste of time. Um, I would love to maybe even see if I could you know try and scratch up a you know a copy of it just because like that would just be really cool just to own um, you know as a as a zombie fan. But that was the thing was. Having them kind of go through this whole turmoil or just the conflict has just been uh, just an absolute nightmare. And I mean, and, and George Romero tends to go through that stuff all the time. Like for the longest time, you couldn't get uh, Dawn of the Dead on DVD just because of all of the this – back and forth between them. Uh I think it was like on eBay at one point like I think uh the big collectors uh four disc big ultimate bundle thing I think it was like running around like 80 to like $100 at one point. Uh I'm actually on my computer right now and I've seen I mean the prices have dropped. I mean the four disc thing is like 55 bucks and then it's about yeah, maybe I think the lowest is probably about 10 to 20 bucks. So I mean, it's luckily you can now get a a pretty swanky copy if you really want one. But before there, like when we were doing our Dawn of the Dead episode, I had luckily I already had a copy, but uh, Meg went on eBay and she was like, there's no way that we're paying this price (laughs) for this movie. Like there's no way. Um, But I was happy to see that uh, Dan O'Bannon ended up Jumping onto this film because I think it really added just a good level of campiness, but then uh, at the same time, they really did take into account uh, certain aspects, like realistic aspects. Uh, I guess Toby Hooper was also going to, like, he was in line to uh, direct this and, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy. Uh, So. I was like that would have been a really cool idea too just because I would have loved to see what Toby would have done like that would have been I, I don't know like I've, I've never seen him do a, a straight up zombie film so that would have been really cool. Now this story was not all of what Russo wrote. Um, they basically took the just the the you know just the meat out of it and just used the the skeleton of the story and then kind of built up around that because at first uh they were reading through the his novel and they just were like okay well this is definitely a more serious dramatic you know, telling of, of this version of the story but Obana was just like you know what like let's I don't want to step on the coattails of of Romero so let's make this into more of a comedy, um, and there was a like, I almost felt like when they when he keeps saying like oh like let's make this into a comedy I'm thinking like you know slapstick like Dumb and Dumber or you know like uh, something like along the lines of like uh, you know scary movie it's like okay or like you know something like from like Leslie Nielsen or you know Mel Brooks. But for this, it's like there were comical parts in it, but oh, okay, okay. Like for instance, like uh, the character suicide, right? So <laughs> his big line in the movie. So there, the whole group is in this graveyard, and I'll, I'll explain the the whole scenario. But he's in there, and he is just so pissed off about. I don't know like any like any and everything is now pissed him off to the point where he is just rebelling against the entire world for absolutely nothing. And it's there is a so the girl trash like she's you know dancing around naked in this graveyard and he's just like what do you like what do you guys you know, fucking think this is this is me. I am real like uh, you what do you think this is a fucking costume? It's like this is life. And Jesus like, she she just doesn't give a shit about what he's saying. She starts to like trying to like dance on him. He's like, "Oh, come on. Get get the fuck out of here. Have some respect for the dead." And it's just like it's so it hurts because I've known guys like that and it's such a like he is just a stereotype of what i guess other people would see punkers as and so <laughs> to actually go through the the list here like this this group of of kids is such a mashing and it's one of those like i almost feel like at certain times like they work well but at other times like it doesn't make sense because most of these guys, I don't feel, would actually mash with the others. For instance, we have it's uh, Tina who's at, oh, I guess, dating Freddie. And we, we get to meet Freddie uh, at the beginning of the movie. But when we see Tina, she is just this down home, just. You know, she almost feels like a Sandy Duncan character from Greece. Like, it's just. She's just too sweet and innocent, and just it doesn't really fit. Uh, and then you also have uh, Casey, who's a little bit more of that 80s glam punk, uh, like pop punk uh, kind of girl. Like, so she's got like the blue hair, it's like the little mini mohawk. Uh, I don't know. Like, it's just, she feels like it's like, you know, girls just want to have fun type of, like, she's watched that, that video way too many times. Uh, and then you have Chuck who is also your typical eighties dude. Like he's got, he, he looks like he had a, something out of like a fucking like ska band. Like, or, you know, it's just, he's wearing the suit jacket and he's got like the little tiny little, like pencil tie like it's and he's always wearing the sunglasses his hair is always de like shaggy right down in his face and it's just it's oh and he's always walking around with a boom box and anytime like the group needs it like he boom he's he's the music guy um but it's it's like i said he looks like something out of a ska video and then you have guys like spider right well spider big tall dude. He's got like, you it know, looks like he's got like the jerry curl, but he's, you know, looks like, you know, like he looks like uh, a metalhead. Like he's got like the, you know, the black jeans on. He's got all the, you know, just the bracelets and the, the headbands and everything like it's, he looks like a straight up metalhead. Uh, then you have scuzz, trash and suicide, and they are your straight up punks. Like they, like scuzz, has the straight-up, you know, mohawk, and he, and what's funny is that, I guess the guy that they got to do Scuzz, uh, he was more typecast in other films as the geek, and so when he found out that his friend, uh, it was, uh, that's playing Casey, uh, Jewel, when he she was getting hired on for this film, he was like, oh, I, like, he went up to his agent, and he's like, I need to, like, I need to get on, Return of the Living Dead, and they're like, oh, well, they're only looking for punkers and stuff like that, and then when he finally ended up getting it, it was kind of like a big, like, ha-ha, F-you to his agent that, that said that he, wouldn't, he would not never be able to get it. Um, but <laughs> that was the thing, was, so he shaved his head and colored it orange, and he was like, you know, just straight up punker with a mohawk, uh, and then you have Trash, and She, you know, ended up, like, cutting her hair really short, dyeing it straight red, and then ended up, like, I mean, just all of the, again, chains and just tight clothes, uh, the leggings, everything. Like, so she, and she also did, like, like, face makeup. Like, so, like, she made it look like cracks or, like, veins or something like that on the side of her eyes. Uh, I mean, she's a gorgeous girl alone, but it was just, like, it's, she really, like, took it that one step further. A little part of me was like, it's like she's, like, maybe, like, toe, like tiptoeing just a little bit into that cold chamber kind of uh, vibe, uh, which I'm, I'm, I definitely dig. But uh, now we come into suicide. That boy, oh, boy. Okay, so he has shaved his head, and it's in this, like, shape where – it's uh almost like a one guard all around but then on just the like the point like the top points of his head he's cut like it's almost like a it's a nice zero shape so it <laughs> makes this like big loop around his head but then he also has it looks like paper clips that are uh, attached to each other but then it's like he's got it pierced into his ear and then the chain links up to his nose and then this dude's got, like, he's just dripped in leather and, like, I mean, it almost looks like he went out to like, Rob Halford's, like, wardrobe. But he's got, like, leather and chains and just boots and it's just... But he's just got, like, just that bad attitude and it's just... He is just angry at the world. And, like, when he ends up actually engaging the first time with the characters, he's the guy that drives them around. So, the group is off they're wanting to try and find a place to party. They don't know where to go. They keep getting kicked out of, you know, other cemeteries and other places. So they they just want to have a good time, get some drinks and just let loose. Well, they end up they're like, "Oh, well, let's go get Freddy. He just got a new job and then after we pick up Freddy, we'll, you know, go find a place." And when they do that, they end up getting suicide to drive them over. And as they're driving, he's like, What the fuck? Like, you guys just wanted me to just. That's all you guys wanted me to do is drive. Me? And then, like, Spider, like, gives him, like, some type of, like, sassy comment. And he, like, tries to, like, jump back in the seat while driving to try and choke him out. And it's just, like, it's really fucking funny. But um, that's the thing is, like, it's just, he's just angry about everything. And. It was just very hard to find out why, and no one ever questioned him. It was like they just kind of just let him be in his own bubble, and whatever he said, is like, it was like he was just talking to the wind. It was really, really funny to see. Um, now, as I mentioned, we were talking about Freddie. So Freddie has just started a new job over at the Unita Medical Supplies Company. And he is just, I guess, getting started. Like, I mean, he just got the job. And so uh, his, the next person in line is, or you know, for his boss is Frank. And then Bert is the one that actually owns the medical supply. Um, so Frank is the manager, and he tells Bert that, okay, well, we're going to be locking up here in about an hour We'll be out of your way, and then I'll see you at the you know the barbecue tomorrow. And again, they're giving their their good goodbyes, and so Freddie is, again, just very green. He doesn't really know, and and so he's just kind of just trying to take everything in, and and I mean again, it's it feels like it's very simple work, uh, but at the same time, uh, he kind of seems like that dumb kid that's just gonna just you know forget everything. So, Frank, uh, one of the first things he, he goes in and he's trying to, you know, go over the order forms and stuff with them, and, and let him know, uh, you know, what certain things mean. Like, uh, he, the one of the order forms, I think they were saying they wanted a female skeleton with perfect teeth. And so he's going through the different codes and he's like, okay, well, S is for skeleton, F is for female, and then PT is perfect teeth. So it's like if it says F. SFPT skeleton female. Like so, he's like, okay, that that that's an, you know easy enough. And then they take the skeleton, put it in a box, and then you know pack it up. And he's showing them the proper way. Uh, then he's walking them through, and he shows them all the wheelchairs, all the you know the you know canes, like all the the medical assistant stuff that you know they get. They also sell. And then he's like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, a lot of like medical schools and, uh, veterinary schools will, you know, buy the, these things. So they have like this rack of, (laughs) of literally half dogs. It's a dog that has been split down the middle and then a piece of plexiglass covers the other side of it so that you could actually see the inside organs. And I've, First off, I was like that is impressive to get a literal split right down the middle on a creature and then be able to preserve it so that it doesn't just rot away to the, the point where like you could just use it as a display item. Is that's is is is, is kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. Um, I've always wanted to go to like those like, the oddity shops and, you know, get, like, all, like, just see all the weird shit in jars, and, um, I've, for some reason, I've always wanted a shark in a jar. I don't know why, but, um, I mean, I do love sharks, but, hey, this was just really cool just because, like, it didn't seem like it would, it would fit, and the fact that he just pointed it out just kind of, it, it... I was like, I, I was trying to get that whole feeling of like, okay, they're about to set up the table for the big, you know, for, for the table spot, um, and and they did. It was it was pretty awesome, but then they uh, he walks back to this big steel door and he's like, oh, what's in there? And he's like, oh, that's that's our cadaver room, and the way he kind of says it, it's it was more of like a yeah, that's just what it is, and then Freddie's like, what do you mean cadavers? He's like, yeah, that's our that's our where we keep our cadavers. And so they walk back there and it's this, this big ice box and they they walk in and you can see all the hooks and just everything. It just it feels like the feeling went from like kind of like that ha ha like you know chummy kind of feeling to oh shit, this is a little serious. And because in the back there's a hanging dead body, and you know, Freddy's like, oh well, like what what do you guys do with this? And he's like, oh well. You know, we sell these things for like to the government for, you know, missile testing and other types of, uh, you know, just, you know, crash test. Like because they want to see like what the impact would be on an actual, you know, human body. So they just kind of have them on on hand. He's like, well, why, why don't like why is there only one? He's like, well you know, it's just much, it's kind of like, you know, the, your food, in the fridge, like you don't want it to go bad. So you don't want your, uh, the freshness to go away. So they try to rotate out the bodies as, as much as possible. Um, which is a little creepy, but, uh, then they're, you know, kind of going into this mode of, of trying to like close out for a lot of their like workload and just any of their like paperwork. And so Freddie and Frank are back in the office, uh, Frank ends up calling his wife, saying, yeah, I'll, I'll be home in about an hour, <laughs> which is not going to happen. Um, but um, they're finishing up, and, you know, Freddie's, like, he looks across the desk, he's like, so what is the weirdest thing that you've seen at this, you know, at, at, the, at the facility? And Frank then, like, leans over, he's like, so... Like, are you aware of that movie, Night of the Living Dead, which that made me smile just because of like they actually referenced the thing that this was supposed to be referencing. Like, so I thought that was kind of cool that they actually used the you know, the actual film in this film, um, and so Freddie's like, yeah, yeah, like, and so it kind of made it uh, not breaking the fourth wall, but it brought the film into their world which is cool and so frank then tells him that everything that happened in that film was actually true and freddie doesn't really believe he's like I don't, I don't understand like that how could it be true it was a film well it turned out that they're like oh well the guys that made it it turned out that in pittsburgh there was a situation where there was a chemical leak and that chemical poured down into one of the morgues on the, the facility and that made all the bodies to reanimate and then go on a killing spree. And what ended up happening was it only was in this very isolated area. And so Freddie's like, Well, but that doesn't make sense because like they it like was like widespread and it went all over the world and all this other stuff. And he's like, well, no, that's the thing is uh, the guys that created the movie, they were told by the government to keep it hush-hush. Like, they weren't supposed to tell anything, so they altered the story to still be able to tell it, but it had a a slightly different ending. Um, So, they made it just fictional enough to get by and not be in trouble with the government. And and so Freddie's like, holy shit, like he was he was kind of blown away because he wasn't expecting that to be true. And then Frank hits him with another bomb shot. He's like, Do you want to see the do you want to see the bodies? And he's like, What do you mean? He's like, Well, what ended up happening was that the government collected all the dead bodies that were infected with this chemical and, you know, they didn't know what the chemical was. It, it, it's still to this day kind of a mystery. And they collected all the bodies, put them in these canisters. And then they were supposed to ship them out to the, like, a, like one of the military bases. He's like, however, they were shipped wrong. And lo and behold, th- his company <laughs> ended up getting them. So he's like, he's like, we have them. And he's like, "Do you want to go see him?" So Freddie automatically is like, "Yeah!" Like so, he, they rush down to the basement and they they set up the, another gag where uh, Frank is is stepping down. He's like, "Oh, hey, watch that third step. You know, it's it's a little weak." So okay, that's another table table spot they're about to set up. And so they get down there, and lo and behold, there's all these cans. Big-ass cans just sitting down there, and they got the, the government, like, if, you know, lost, please call, yada, yada, yada. And Freddy's just dumbfounded. He has no idea what to say. And then they open up the canister, and there is a dead face, just a zombie face just staring up at you. I mean, it's got its eyes closed, but, I mean, it's just looking straight up, and it looks so good. Um, one of the things that I do love about... This is that they did take into account what dead bodies would normally be like if, if they were rotting in different ways. Um, like I said, the artist and and Dan O'Bannon, they took into account for like I said they they took a lot of references from like actual mummies. They took in references from cadaver work, and then they t- went into their makeup with the makeup team and they tried to recreate a lot of that. For me, I felt that was probably some of the my favorite like earlier like zombie work because if you look back to like let's say, you know, Dawn of the Dead garbage makeup. <laughs> it's literally just blue paint. Even though Tom Savini did fantastic work when it came to like the actual like gore aspect of it. That stuff I'm not. I'm talking about the actual zombie look. I've always hated just that blue paint. Like it's just it never never worked for me. Um, but then when you got into like the like later works when you came into like Day of the Dead, yeah, they actually like amped it up a little bit. You know with uh, Greg Nicotero and um, you know and his crew. You know I believe that was like the Canby guys before they actually got into Canby. Uh, but they get, they actually put in a little bit extra work on their zombie look and it's fantastic. And I mean, and that actually goes into like walking dead, walking dead is probably like some of the absolute best, uh, when it comes to that, that zombie, like that natural zombie look. Um, I mean, it's just, it's grotesque and it's just, it's, and it's just, it's damn good. Uh, but then you also have. Uh, I will say that George Romero's Land of the Dead is also fantastic when it comes to that zombie look. However, that is the uh, you know it's it's a lot later <laughs> in, in in the film. I'm talking about like that L that eighties and uh, oh and also if you guys hear any booms in the background, yeah, I got fireworks blowing up, up behind me. So yeah, it's a uh, yeah. Good luck with that. But um so. The zombie makeup is fantastic. They even like they try to do that thing where, you know, some of the the zombie extras would you know be more grotesque than others, and then some look like they were literally just, just fresh out the box, like they no no damage, no rotting, no nothing, any of that. Well. It turns out that when Frank goes down to show Freddy this canister, he's telling him the story, and and Freddy goes, "Oh well, those things can't leak." He's like, "Oh no, these things are built solid." And then he smacks it, and then out of nowhere, a leak just just bursts out, and then all this gas just starts to escape, and it's starting to suffocate the room, and as it's doing that it's it's releasing what's inside and it's almost like it's a cryo tube uh, if it if that makes any sense yeah it's like it's a cryo tube and then as it's expelling all that gas it's melting what's inside and this is the opening to the film which is fantastic so the like i mean it goes right into the title card right after this but it's like you're seeing the zombie literally just melt on the inside and like all the flesh and everything it's just it's so goddamn good it's it's almost like you're watching. Like you have like an ice cream, you like you like the ones that you get like a Dairy Queen, and it's just got like the the cho- like the hard chocolate coating over it, and then you just let it sit out in the sun, and then you can just see the chocolate melt away, and then you can see all the ice cream underneath, and then it just kind of just keeps melting. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I felt. Or uh, if you want to go back to a movie thing, it's like you got you know um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> it's like once they actually uh, open the ark. And it's just that whole melty scene. Yeah, it's kind of what I got out of it. Um, I like my ice cream analogy better. But, um, so we get into the the whole opening and right after Frank and Freddy kind of wake up from their little nap time after the, the gas is expelled, um, it turns out that the zombie that was inside the canister has now gone, um. The thing that kills me about that scene is why didn't Tarman show up? Like, where did he go? Um, it was just like he just kind of like left the canister and they, Frank and Freddie thought that the zombie just melted. Which, again, as an audience member, you're like, okay, well, we just literally saw it melt, so that would be the explanation. And then you don't say anything else. Well, they're, you know... The the guys are f- coughing up a storm, freaking out, and then they end up they they go back upstairs, and then out of nowhere they're they're trying to s- spray like deodorant and like uh you know like Lysol and stuff like that because the smell is just so. They're like, oh, I think it's in my nose. Like it's just everywhere. Like that's a horrible horrible smell. And then all of a sudden they start hearing a dog barking. And. Freddie's like, oh, I think it's back this way. They walk back and they see one of the half dogs laying on the ground, like it it fell off the top of the shelf and it is laying on the ground. And they walk over to it, and then they realize that it is panting, and it is just it's it's breathing. And all of a sudden, it starts to bark. <laughs> or like Freddie picks it up and like he grab and you could you touch it and you could hear the squish. And out of no, like he just freaks out because it starts barking because the dog's in pain. It's literally half a dog. And so then Frank takes like a like a bat or something like that. And it's like a stick and starts to beat the shit out of this goddamn dog. And I and he ends up killing it again because he's like, there's no way that thing should be alive. And then they hear the screaming from the cooler. So the dead body that was in the cadaver room has now come back to life. So the chemical, like it went through, like as it expelled from the, the main canister, it went up into the air vents and went out like, it was just all over the building. So everything that was dead or could, you know, could have been alive at one time is now reanimated. And there is, I think... Yeah, the cadaver, the, the yellow man is what they called him. Uh, the cadaver is awesome. Like, it's just a, a cool image where he is literally on a hook and they he gets off and he's walking around. Uh, the half dogs, again, super sick. Love it. Uh, can't get enough of it. But the thing that I really, really appreciated out of everything in that scene was as the guys are freaking out, trying to figure out what to do, uh they walk by this display of a butterfly like exhibit so it's like they they had like a there's like this little board and it had all these dead butterflies just displayed all over it and as they were walking by the board you could see all the butterflies flapping their wings they're still pinned to the board But you could just see him like, flabbing. And it's like, they paid that thing no mind. They, like, whatever else. But it was like, that was really, really trippy. And I love seeing that little, little detail. And that was something where it's like, yeah, no, everything in that whole shop is is fucking living. Um, You know, on the flip side of that, even though it was bringing back everything from the dead, it was actually slowly killing... Our guys, Frank and Freddy. Now they are panicking and they don't know what to do with with anything. And so uh, they realize that okay, well the cadaver is now alive. Uh, Frank is like shit. Like I, we are we are screwed. And if we don't take care of this now, uh, we need to clean up all this mess and you know just kind of pretend like nothing ever happened. And they finally come into the terms that they have to finally get this thing squared away. And so they're like, well, back in the Night of the Living Dead movie, they say that you have to destroy the brain in order to stop the zombie. So Frank set, tells Freddy, okay, you open up the the cadaver door, let that thing out, and then we'll take care of it. Well, they let it out, and, or actually they get, they get too scared. They actually end up going and calling Bert. Bert shows up, and then that's when they go into this whole thing of like, okay, we're gonna get this shit going. So they open up the door, and the cat, the cadaver, runs out and uh, tackles Bert, and then like it almost bites him, like it gets really, really close to it. And then they they pull the cadaver off, lay it on the ground, and then Bert takes a like a just a big ass pick. And then stabs right in the head. The funny thing is, is that it does not die. It's just screaming. It's got something in it in the back of its head, but it will not die. It's still like flailing around, and it could get up. And then Bert's like, "All right, screw this. Like, let's let's just get this thing you know done and over with." So he goes and gets a hacksaw and starts to cut this goddamn zombie's head off, and then the body just. Stands right up and starts walking around, knocking shit off of shelves and knocking shelves over. Like, it's very, very terrifying. The head is still pinned to the floor and it's trying to bite different things. But it's just like, it's such a bizarre little, like, uh, it's so weird. But that was the thing is like, okay, so in this zombie lore, there's no way to stop it. And so the guys freak out, and they're like, "Well, what are we gonna do?" And so Bert's like, "All right, let's go ahead and just—I'm I'm tired of this thing running around." So he ends up—they well—they grab it and they cut all the limbs off, and they—they they basically dissect the zombie and bag it up. Well, then they—Bert uh, has the idea, like he's got a, a buddy that works up the street at the—it's uh, like the cemetery or like the morgue, and uh, he's got a, a crematorium on his property. So he's like, "Oh, I've known this guy for like 25 years. Maybe he'll, he'll help us out, but we have to try and keep this thing hush-hush." So he ends up going over to his buddy Ernie, uh who had the you know works at the morgue. And he asks him like, "Oh, like, you know, we've known each other for like 25 years. Can you I need this is like really really big. I really need your help. Can, you know, you assist us and Ernie's like, yeah, yeah, like that's fine. He's like, okay, well, you know, since you said yeah, (laughs) like let me bring in my guys and bring in our stuff. So they bring in this big like table filled with all these garbage bags, and the bags are moving. He's like, what the hell are these? He's like, oh, they're uh, they're uh, rabid weasels. And he's like, oh, what are you gonna do with them? He's like, well, I wanted to see if we could put them into your the crematory, like you know, and, and burn them up. He's like, that's is like that's so cruel like why would you want to do that like that's like why don't you just like take them over to like a, a vet and just have them you know just put them down you know humanely and stuff like that and and Frank is like oh we can't do that like it's not possible and then and Bert's like yeah that's that's not gonna fly we have to do you know take care of, we have to just burn everything up and then and get everything on and then Ernie's like all right that it doesn't seem right he's like let's just go ahead and just oh <laughs> that was another thing he's like Ernie loves his gun and that was like so when uh, Bert can, like walks in the first time he sneaks up on Ernie by you know not like meaning to but then Ernie pulls a gun on him and it was really funny so Ernie's like hey let's just go ahead and just take care of him now and we'll just go bury him in a hole and he's you know holding up his gun and Bert's like no that's not gonna work and then Bert finally like breaks he's like alright just to be honest, these are not rabbit weasels. He's like, this is something else. And it's like, I need you to, to trust me on it. And, and so then like, a- after a little bit, they're like, all right, they just break. And they're like, all right, let's just tell Ernie everything. And then finally, Ernie's like, all right, this is like, he's finally believing everything. He's like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to help you, but you owe me, you owe me big time. And, so they put the the body bags into you know the fire, light everything up. But the thing that I felt was such a good idea was as this chemical is burning off of the body. I mean, they're they're burning everything. They're burning the bones, the heart. Like I mean, it's like everything is just going away. But as it's burning, it ha- like the smoke has to. You know exit somewhere so it goes up the smokestack and it's like that chemicals going up into the atmosphere and somehow it mixes with the like the water molecules up in the you know in the sky and it causes like a massive rain cloud that is now pouring down this it's kind of like an acid rain like back down to the ground. And like I said, this is right next to a a morgue that has a cemetery right next to it, which, again, it's one of those, like, it's such a recipe for success. (laughs) Like, it's just... So they burn this body thinking that it is done, they don't have to deal with this shit anymore, and then they can just go about their day. But they have created a major problem uh, because that rain that is now falling down into the ground has now soaked the ground and now is starting to lo and behold, reanimate all the the bodies from the from the cemetery. And on top of that, so this is when our the group of kids, uh, Chuck, Spider, Casey, Tina, uh, trash and suicide, uh, they're all and they, they are trying to, wait around for Freddy to get off work and they're like well we don't want to wait two hours for him to get off so let's just go and play around in the cemetery until he's done Uh, so they end up going in there and they're dancing around they're uh, just having a good old time Chuck's playing his music and then trash is sitting there next to spider next to one of the graves and she is just dark like, she's just, you ever thought about yourself dying or being just ripped apart by something? And it's just, and Spider's like, no, no one ever thinks about that. Like, why would you, why would that even come across in your mind? And she's just like, I think about it all the time. And it's just like, I don't, I know. the funny thing is, is, like, I've known people like that, that have try to just be dark and brooding and just, just so epic in their just torment of life that it, it just becomes, like, super comical because it's like, dude, I know your parents and they love the shit out of you. Why are you acting like this? Um, it's like you actually have a good, good home life. Like, there's no reason for you to be, you know, all, like, emo about it. Um, but then she ends up getting this idea where she's just like, she's like, oh, I just want to, I just want these things just to come across my body and just rip me apart. And like she tears off her, her shirt, showing her fantastic boobies, by the way. And then she ends up, you know, stripping down and uh, chucking them are like, oh, look, trash is getting naked again. Which I was like, okay, so that's like, that's not the first time that this girl has done this. But then, she ends up jumping up on top of one of the 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 graves and starts to literally like strip down naked and starts dancing while the rest of the group just sits there and watches her and it's just it's such a bizarre moment because i've never known somebody to just do that where there's just like i'm just gonna just get naked in front of just Everybody and then and just be completely. I mean, again, more power to her if she's being that comfortable, but it's just like, it, again, it's just it doesn't fit for the like for the group where like girls like the like Casey and Tina that are sitting there. Well, I don't think Tina was around, like, I think she was over uh, trying to get uh, Freddie at this point, but like Casey and they, it was like, they were all. Like, I mean, I, I can understand, like, all the guys being, like, ooh, 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 naked girl. But, like, Casey, she was just, like, there to party. Like, she, it did not bother her. So, um, I don't know. It was just the fact that she, I mean, I'm assuming Trash has done this many, many times before. So, it's almost like, okay, old news type of thing. But, uh, yeah, no, it was it was watching this for the first time. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I was just like, I was like, whoa, whoa, naked girl. Like, okay. Yay. Um, (laughs) so yeah, but then the party kind of gets shut down because it starts to rain and they're like, okay, it's raining. And then out of nowhere, they're like, oh my God, this actually starts to hurt. Well, even though that the rain is bringing the dead back to life, uh, it, the chemical, for the living actually like starts to hurt them a little like it, it it stings so they rush back to suicide's car and they put the top over it and they're and they're well the car is such a piece of shit even the the top like as it they have it pulled over trash is sitting still naked in the car because like she couldn't grab like, you know, she had to like grab her clothes or she couldn't grab her clothes. And she had to rush to the car because like the water, was you know, the rain was stinging her and she's sitting in the center of the back seat. And out of nowhere, a hole rips from all the water that's being pushed down onto the top of the, of the you know, little cover on suicide's car. And she just gets Doused in this rain water and that kind of that comes back a little bit later um so she was able to put it back up and you know stay you know as dry as she could from the water but the rest of the group is trying to figure out like you know what to do and like they're trying to start the car car won't start and they're like okay well let's go uh over to, you know, Freddy's work and just see if we could just hang out there. Well, they rush over, and this is where we, well, at first, we end up seeing Tarman because of Tina. So at this point, Freddy and Frank and Bert have taken the body, uh, the cadaver, over to Ernie's. And so Tina has no idea that they are over there. So she goes over to the medical center and she's walking around and she ends up going down into the basement thinking that Freddy's down there. Well, out of nowhere, she, you know, reaches the bottom and then the tar man comes walking right on out and does that classic brains. It's just like... It's so creepy. It's just, I, like, absolutely love the Tar Man. It's one of my, like, next to the the, the zombie fighting shark. <laughs> like, it, he's one of my favorites. Uh, like, that's the thing is, scares the shit out of her. And he automatically starts to, like, you know, kind of shuffle. And he's just, like, it's just, the way he walks is just absolutely incredible. But she freaks out tries to rush up the stairs, and then lo and behold, hits that third step that Frank told Freddie about and she falls right through it. Falls right on down, back down to the floor, and Tarman kind of shuffles his way back around the stairs, um, and then she is actually able to get around him, and then goes back up the stairs and then leaves. Well, uh, a little bit later, the rest of the group, they all barge in, and She's uh, they're, they're trying to find Freddy and they're, they're doing the, the same gimmicky thing well then they all go down into the you know in, down into the basement and they open up the door Tarman lunges out grabs Suicide by the head and then bites him right on his melon and then they fall down into the basement and then Suicide's dead like he's the first one to die out of the group The rest of the group is absolutely freaking out. Tarman starts to come up out of, you know, after him, and they shut the the basement door and then lock it. Um, And then that was the thing was like, as this movie goes on, it becomes a thing of the group is trying to survive in the medical center, and then Ernie, Bert, Frank, and Freddie are trying to survive in the, the you know, the, the morgues, uh, the cemetery area, and it's funny because like Bert and Ernie start to realize what has actually happened, like they thought that they stopped the first one and that was it, but then they caused a major problem, um, and you could just see, like, as the zombies are starting to rise up out of the grave, you could hear the screaming, and you could hear uh, just all the, the yelling for brains and things like that. And, and that's another thing that I thought was really interesting is that this is where I feel the start of the whole zombie wanting brains gimmick started from, and every George Romero movie. They never actually want the brains. They just want to just kill. They just want to eat. They just want to feed. They don't care what they're going after as long as it's like a fleshy thing. So for them, like the zombies to actually, that's that's all they want is brains is is, is an interesting little gimmick. Um, And... (laughs) That was something where they, one of the zombies, uh, or well, a bunch of the zombies broke in and one of them falls into the little morgue area. And it turns out that it's literally just half a woman. And it's just a rotting corpse that, you know, came out of the grave and it's just, she literally split in half. And so they finally board up everything and then Ernie stakes her in the back and then picks her up and then takes her to one of like the little, you know, embalming tables and then he ties her up to the table. But another thing that was really bizarre and I was not ready for it right off the bat was the fact that the zombies could talk and think. I know that they were when they were talking about the initial idea for Tarman that they wanted him to be able to think and process, uh, you know, different things. But so the lady zombie that they had on the embalming table after they tied her up, Ernie leans over and he's like he's like, You can understand me, can't you? And she's like, Yes. And he's like, Well, why why are you you know, after that, she's like, Your brains He's like, well, what does the, the brain's got to do with it? And she's like, it stops the pain, the pain of being dead. And it's just like, okay, so the zombies need to eat our brains so that it it kind of numbs the pain. So our brains are basically their Advil. It's just like, it's the, that, that just made me laugh. I was like, so... When they rose out of the the ground, it's like that was like their first thing is like I need living brains to stop feeling the pain of death huh, okay, so <laughs> it was funny that they they took that route as far as and again that they kind of set up a lore that has been used forever now i mean there's there's tons and tons of a zombie you know gimmicks out there that that deal with the whole you know, just wanting your brains and That I thought was a really cool little little tidbit So not only can the zombies not die in this but they also need to eat us to numb their pain along with being able to think and strategize that was another little thing that was really cool so they would do this thing where um, after the zombies came out of the ground uh, there was a couple of uh, paramedics that were called in by ernie because frank and freddie were now falling ill and they had to you know they they just needed to get them you know to a hospital so the paramedics show up and they're actually looking at they're all they're, they're testing Frank and Freddie, and they're just kind of dumbfounded they don't know what what to do because they're like well your temperature is at 70 which is room temperature uh, which is not good and then turn around uh, you don't have a pulse uh, like they've they checked multiple times they they double checked and both of them have no pulse uh, <laughs> they can see that there's like like blood bruising on their back where it's like the blood is not as kind of stopped, um, like circulating and like, and it causes the bruising and they don't know what's going on because they're like, technically you should be dead. And you guys are like, and they're talking to them. Like they're (laughs) like, Frank and Freddie, are actually talking back to him and having a conversation with him, so they have no idea what's going on. So they're like, okay, well let's let's go get a stretcher and you know get everything going. So they go out there, and one guy goes under the truck and he's trying to you know call dispatch, and then the other guy is in the back of the truck trying to get the the gurney set up, and. Out of nowhere, the dude in the front of the truck gets bum rushed by like a whole bunch of zombies, gets taken out, and then another one, you know, comes in to the back of the truck, gets him. Well, then one zombie goes into the the front of the truck, uh, the ambulance, and grabs the intercom, and then he calls for more paramedics. So the zombie knows what is in front of him, so it's not, like, he's not a complete idiot. Like, he actually understands, like, okay, this is an ambulance, he's a paramedic, and I need more of them. And so the dispatch sends out more paramedics! <laughs> like, there's no reasoning, it's just, like, send more paramedics. Okay! Like, you got it there, Chuff. And then, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was really cool, because that that's they did that multiple times in this movie. Um, <laughs> so they actually... Kill the the first paramedics, the second group come in and they're just they see the open door, and they they come like one of them come around the corner, and they uh, like they don't know what like what to do and all of a sudden they get all they get bum rushed like so the it's just the zo- and the zombies are so sneaky about it too like they're hiding behind different stuff like cars and uh, bushes and things like that. So the paramedics walk out in the open, and then they just get, like, swarmed by zombies, and then they just get taken away. Well, a little bit later, uh, I believe it was Casey and, uh, and Chuck, they actually end up calling the cops. And the cops get uh, brought out, and as they come around the corner, they see that there is a body that is out just laying down by the like the front of the ambulance and so they shut the door and that's when they get bum rushed um ernie tries to go out there and like it was like the first time like after the first paramedics go down ernie is not really believing like what's like kind of going on and so ernie walks out there and he almost gets got because he shuts the door and probably (laughs) one The funniest fucking zombies I've ever seen in my life. Uh, like I remember, like me and my buddy Brock would like laugh our ass off at this scene, but it's just because like it was just it's not like what we're looking at, but it's what we're hearing, because Ernie shuts the door, and I know I'm, I'm sorry if I'm jumping around, but yeah, Ernie, like so this is that beginning of the movie, right when the first paramedics go down, Ernie shuts the door and. There's a zombie chomping on the paramedic's head and he just like looks up and goes <laughs> and then it starts to chase him and it has no legs it's a zombie running on its nubs and it like the so a little part of it is like, okay, that's real. that's, that's funny. But then the music is just like these little like xylophone, like ding, 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 ding. Like and it's following every little step of the zombie. It is so cute and hilarious all in one thing. It's just, so Ernie's running away from this goddamn thing. And it's the, the legless man is, uh, Oh, what is it? It's Jerome Coleman. And Jerome Coleman has been in... You know, he's been in other, like, horror movies. Like, uh, most most amputees and things like that, like, they tend to get horror movie work because, you know, it's like, okay, well, if they need someone that, you know, has a missing arm or something like that, it's a lot easier for them, like, in, in a zombie movie, especially, to actually use, you know, people like that. But it was just... To actually see him, like just running on his nubs. And then it was just... It was really, really fucking hilarious. Um, So that was the thing is like... The zombies in this film were fantastic. And I thought that once you actually got into the whole survival aspect of it... um, It didn't seem like there was much of an out as to how they were going to survive. Um, Because like, you know, once the rain started going... And it infected everything. It was one of those like there was nothing you could do. Uh, and on top of that, with the zombies being able to kind of, you know, infiltrate and you know come up with plans and and be you know super sneaky, and it just it escalated more and more and more um, as it progressed on. And it was one of those things where it's like, if they were that smart and that clever. Uh, they were going to be able to spread as uh, you know very very quickly. Um, now on the opposite side of this coin, so we got our group that's dealing with the zombies, but we also have our uh, the general, General Glover. He uh, has been working on this case, trying to find the canisters for. I believe they said it was about fifteen to twenty years. Uh, they just he they had the mess up and they got shipped out to the wrong address but they could never find out where they were actually shipped off to because the whole thing was supposed to be hush hush and so there's no not supposed to be really like any paper trail or anything like that but I kind of feel like they would know where something was like shipped off to if you know I don't know but it was a uh, that was something where they, <laughs> they, they, they kind of had the the mess up, and so uh, you know Colonel Glover was like again he's on the job. Uh, he actually has at his uh, home, it's this whole big device that allows him to be contacted twenty four seven by any government official, and it allows him to. Contact anybody that he needs to, uh, you know, just so that they can make sure that this thing gets, you know, taken care of, you know, nice and easy. And lo and behold, after, you know, the group is starting to kind of be like, okay, well, yeah, we've screwed up. It's like they wanted to try and call paramedics, and that failed. And then they ended up trying to call the police, and that failed. And then (laughs) now it's like, Okay, we got, we got to call the government. We got to call, like, the number on the side of the canister and just let them know that we found something. Well, they end up calling Colonel Glover. And this is, like, late at night. And so he answers the phone, and he's, like, half asleep. And then finally, it kind of is like, oh, oh you found the canisters? And he's asking them, like, all the questions, like, why haven't you called us before? And he's like, oh, well, Bert is, you know, telling him, like, well, we didn't want to get in trouble. Like, we just, you know, we just... Figure we just keep them, you know, safe, and yeah, you know, now they've they've expelled, and you know, things are starting to, you know, kind of go wry. And so Glover's like, okay, that's fine. Like we'll take care of it. We have you know, this uh, plan in place for you know this type of situation. So I'll go ahead and, and infiltrate my men, and, and we'll get we'll get down there. Bert's like, okay, great. Like this is fantastic. Well, the whole plan is to set off a goddamn nuke so Glover ends up calling his, his team and gives them the codes and they fucking shoot off a rocket to, to Kansas and that was the yeah but it was just funny because you could hear the whistle and Bert and, and the whole group were like oh you, you hear that what's going on and then that's when the, the bomb goes off and it's supposed to destroy any you know any life that's in that, that area and uh one of the the scenes that actually felt really um like like the funny started to to leave the room type of thing was so freddy is like he's laying on the ground and tina's you know kind of trying to like comfort him and she's got her arms around him and and he's talking to her and and i guess like the rigor mortis is starting to like creep in because every time like he like moves just a little bit his body just goes into just this ultra pain well out of nowhere he decides like oh you know what like the the only thing that actually would you know make me feel much better is your brains and he's like lunges at her and for the longest time he has been immobile like he cannot move and then out of nowhere he's just like up running around chasing her down and then uh, I believe it, yeah, it's yeah Tina Bert and I believe Spider and Ernie are in this group and then like Spider and Ernie or no Spider Spider and Bert go down into the basement that's when they're they're trying to make the phone call and Ernie goes back up um, and they, they're back in the morgue uh, with uh, Frank and Freddie and then that's when. Uh, Freddy starts to like chase him around. Well, Frank sees what's happening and so he can't deal with it. So he goes down to the crematorium and throws himself in the fire, which is really, really dark. But then Ernie ends up taking a bottle of like acid and throws it in the face of Freddy and it burns his eyes. And it's like, you know, it basically. Sh- blinds him and like seals his you know his face shut and so Freddy can't see anything he's like you know script you know trying to like feel around and he can't you know see anything and then Ernie takes Tina up into the attic like that was kind of like the, the you know just the fail safe like that's just where they could just go and hide out um, until help arrives you know it's just kind of like the last resort type of thing so he takes Tina up there, and he's got his gun. And at first, you think that, okay, he's going to use the gun on Freddy. But then you start to realize that he's going to shoot Tina. And then probably himself. Because, like, and and Freddy's going around, and he's, like, trying to scream for Tina. He's like, Tina, but I love you. Don't leave me. I need your brain. And it's just like... He'll go into like a comment like that where it's like trying to lure her in. And then he, it's just because I want to kill you type of thing. Um, so I, I, I get really dark there for a second. And then right when like he finally found them, he pops up into the attic and then that's when you hear the whistle of the missile. Oh, I did not mean to rhyme, but I did. Uh, so you hear the, the the missile come down, and then the the f- the frame freezes, and that's when the bomb was supposed to hit, and it was, it was one of those things where it's like, wow, that's actually really kind of bleak and dark, right? it's like there was just absolutely no no out for them, but at the same time, it caused an even bigger problem because yeah, they destroyed. All these zombies and burnt them up, but it caused the chemical to release from their bodies, going back into the air, causing a wider spread of that toxic rain that spread it like so. It just caused that whole thing. Now, this, like I said, this thing started on July 3rd and it escalated. So, when the bomb hit, it was July 4th. And that's when all the chaos actually dropped down, so I don't know, like I just thought that was a that was a, that was a nice little thing. I like that um but yeah, it was one of those like you couldn't get around just that rain like it was just once the gas was expelled, and uh even like when when Frank got into the little crematorium and you know burnt himself up and like, again, the smoke ra- raised up again, and it's like he just kind of just escalated the problem even more. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was that was kind of neat. Uh, one of the other, you know, cool little zombies that, uh, that we saw was Trash. So, she was running around the graveyard, um, you know, it was raining. She ends up falling into a puddle, and she looks up, and out of nowhere, a bunch of zombies attack her, and literally do exactly what she was talking about where she wanted things to rip her apart and you know all that stuff that she was talking about that was dark but it was funny because like she didn't seem to have that face of like oh yeah no this is what i want like it was a oh no this is happening to me type of of thing and then a little bit later uh, i believe it was one of the uh, oh no it was this uh, homeless man this homeless man is walking around you know, putting cans in his basket, and off in the distance, you see this, you know, sh- shadow of a figure. And then slowly, she co- starts coming into play, you know, frame, and you can see it's just this naked girl walking up towards this, you know, homeless man. And, but the thing is, like, she is completely all white. Like, so they they took her look for a zombie into a completely just a weird direction like it doesn't really net like make sense i would just like you know made her like bloody you know put like bite marks on her and stuff like that like made it make her face look all you know contorted or whatever but it's like she looked more of like a vampire than she did a zombie um again sweet being naked but like it just didn't it was a it was a little weird. <laughs> so and then like right at the end of the movie, just before the missile hit, they do the last shot of her, full body naked, just sitting there with all the rest of the zombies, and then it just boom, just everything blew up. Um, now something else that I I kind of hate that I failed to mention this early on uh, was uh, I'm pretty sure you guys actually know uh, who or where. Miguel Nunes Jr. is uh, very well known for. So, literally, in that same year, in 1985, so we had Return of the Living Dead, but just before that, we got him showing up in Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, as Demon. And he's basically the same goddamn character. Like, I don't know, like, what if he just kind of jumped from one movie to a next or what, but it's like, he was still that, just that punk, just Jerry curl looking dude. But it's like, it was just funny that they were basically the same character. Um, but spider was really cool in this film just because he was very proactive. And, tried to like, you know, be the survivor, which is really like, so it wasn't like most of the other kids where you just kind of felt like, okay, yeah, they're just going to be fodder. Um, Spider actually felt like he he could actually survive in this and work with Bert and Ernie and stuff like that, which really makes me, <laughs> it's funny that I just said that because I never realized that it was Bert and Ernie. Oh my God! Okay, Dan O'Bannon, what are you doing? Um, so yeah, that's my uh, my take on this thing. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap this uh, this goodie all up. And that way we can get you guys back to your day. Um, so yeah, uh, for this film, this thing is a four. I absolutely love it. It's it's one of my absolute favorite like zombie films. I remember seeing this thing, you know, when I was a kid and just absolutely loving it like it was just like I like I remember watching Dawn of the Dead and being like like liking it but I never like I don't feel like I loved it as a kid I just think I liked the idea of what I was watching but this gave me that that comic book just zombie feel of of just things being ripped apart and I was just I don't know, it was just, it was really, really fun for me as a kid. And then, like I said, watching the, you know, Legless Zombie or, like, it's just, it it just, it brings joy to my heart. Um, But but yeah, it's it's one of those films that's just so iconic, and I am actually really happy that it does have a cult following as much as it does. Um, It's one of those zombie films like next to like shawn of the dead and train to busan um it's really up there for me now the sequels i don't think they uh they definitely don't hold up as much as this one does um and i mean they, they bring back uh the guys that do uh frank and freddy but they're playing different characters and so it's very weird and it doesn't really fit it's like a it's a it's a strange timeline and then number three is even weirder because this girl gets infected with the zombie virus but she can somehow control it by you know like inflicting pain on herself so she's like shoving glass and nails into her skin like she's she's technically dead but you know she can control it and the craving by you know by hurting herself and it's just, it's very, very bizarre. Um, but yeah, this one, it's it's got everything that I love in, in, a, in a good zombie film. A little bit of comedy, a little bit of, of gore, and just, I like that there is some, like, some some really good storytelling. I mean, it is pretty much an A to B kind of deal, but, I mean, it should it, it fucking holds up, man. Like, I absolutely love it, so I'm all about it. Um, but yeah, so... That is Return of the Living Dead. I'm happy I finally did it. And I'm happy that I did it for our 4th of July. So, uh, again, um, I always want to hear from you guys. Please, please hit me up whenever you guys want. Hit me up on my emails at creepin'itreal.cm at gmail.com. Instagram and Facebook's at creepingitreal. And, again, you can hit me up anytime. DM me. Drop me a movie suggestion on what you guys want me to do. Um now uh also like I mentioned I got my merch. That is a huge way to actually support the channel for me. Uh I do all the artwork and I try to make the artwork more of stuff that like I would wear on a t-shirt that's not like plastered with like creepin' reel, but it's on there too. So I hope you guys could you know, find a design you guys like. Um there are tons of different garments, like you can get shirts, sweaters. Hoodies. Uh, I think you can get like some kids stuff, which is really neat. Uh, there's dresses. You could even do uh, hats, book bags, tote bag. Like I mean, there's just like end all be all. You just find a design you like, and then boom, slap it on whatever you want. So which is really cool. And the quality is always really good too. So I mean, I uh, usually get my cell phone cases from Redbubble, and those things are like hold up incredible like i mean it's just it's like i don't think i've ever gotten another cell phone case from them so i highly recommend it and again that helps support me um also i mean anytime like you guys can you know like share and subscribe um again it helps me out as well so whatever podcast player you're on hit that subscribe button and then uh boom drive me a little review that'd be most most gracious i love it um but yeah so I hope you guys had a, uh, a great 4th of July. Please be safe. Don't blow your goddamn hands off. Like, Don't do that. <laughs> just just be, be safe with the sparklers out there, guys. So I will definitely see you guys next week for another review. So uh, go have a cold one for me. And uh, always go have a tasty...